This sermon is from Edgewood Baptist Church. You can find more information about us online at ebc-edmonds.org. Thanks for listening. I'd like to talk to you about Zach and Zach's walk away from his faith. Zach's story is told in a book entitled Jesus or Nothing by Dan DeWitt. In the book, he talks about how folks are making a choice often between believing in God, believing in Jesus, or believing in nothing. Believing that we exist with a purpose and we're created by God, or that we exist by chance. And that there's nothing out there in regard to a God or gods. He writes, for many, the message connected with a deep longing for ultimate liberation. The message he's talking about is the atheistic message. That's why the recent atheistic marketing campaign caused such a stir. For many, the message connected with a deep longing for ultimate liberation. God probably doesn't exist, so go ahead and enjoy the rest of your life. This proposal touches a nerve in the believing community as well. Many professing Christians, for all practical purposes, live as functional atheists, with little regard for God's sovereignty, for little regard for God's sovereign rule over their daily lives. This is not to say that atheists stop with nothing. But for many, perhaps most, nothing is where they begin. That's where it began for Zach. He grew up in a conservative Christian home in the bluegrass state of Kentucky. His devout parents sent him to a fundamentalist Christian school from kindergarten through high school graduation. He was well-versed in the sorts of things that make nothing all the more appealing. After 18 years of emotional revival services, fiery church business meetings, selly youth group antics, endless rules and regulations, and leadership resignations due to moral downfalls, he was ready for something else. And he found it at the local community college. He breathed deeply the fresh air of intellectual diversity. For the first time in his life, he felt truly free. He first contemplated the possibility of nothing in a biology class his second semester, where his professor presented the merits of evolution. The theory was nearly forbidden in his private high school. It was worse than a four-letter word. Yet here it was discussed in a rational and persuasive manner. Now when Zach looked out at the world with its own natural explanations, he saw nothing, and it was beautiful. Zach later transferred to a large 
State University to pursue a degree in the humanities. He spent the summer after his junior year with a group of students from a humanist campus organization serving the poor in Haiti. He caringly handed food rations to the impoverished youth amid trash heaps. He and his colleagues toiled beneath the summer sun to make a difference in one child at a time. The grateful yet sunken brown eyes of starving boys and girls were more than enough to make his sacrifice seem relatively insignificant yet powerfully satisfying. He didn't do it for religion. He did it for hungry children. He always thought if he embraced nothing, he would instantly morph into some sort of morally reprehensible monster. He quickly discarded this misconception along with a host of others he had heard throughout childhood. Early in his senior year, he made the dreaded phone call to his parents and told them he was no longer a Christian. They were devastated. At the fork in the road between Jesus and nothing, he chose nothing. And he's not alone. Talk today about the road to denial. We're going to look at Peter's denying knowing Jesus. We're going to talk about our own battle with doubts. And perhaps I'm talking to some folks today who are really struggling with doubt. Really struggling whether I should keep believing in this thing called Christianity. There's some here who don't even know much about Christianity, and you're thinking about, I would like to hear more about why anybody would want to be a Christian. Maybe some I'm talking to today have received a call like that call Zach gave his parents. Maybe some here, you lay in bed every night praying that you don't get a call like that, and you're worried. Today's message is to bring hope to us. Today's message is to look at the road to denial and see how we can stay off of it. And also to understand why we would want to stay off of it. If you turn in your Bibles to John 18, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 18. If you don't have your Bible, you can find it on the YouVersion Bible app. It'll also be on the screen behind me. It says there that Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Did you feel the weight of that? Did it grieve you? This is Peter. This is one of the, one of the apostles. This is Peter being asked if, if, if he's a follower of Jesus, if he knows Jesus, and he says, I am not. I'm not a follower. I'm not one of his disciples. Now, 
Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Gospel of John tells us this story while at the same time telling us of Jesus' arrest and trial. Right? John 18, 25 through 27 continues the story of Peter's denial. It says this, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Did that hit you as hard? As it would hit you if your son or daughter called and said, I don't. I don't, man. I don't follow Jesus anymore. Or at least not going to admit it. Let's look at the steps on the road to denying Christ. First, point one, the wrong confidence. Peter had been so confident that he would not deny Jesus. We look at the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, the 37th and the 38th verse. It says this, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's read Matthew's account. Matthew 26, 30-35. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. You see the confidence he had? But he had the confidence in the wrong thing. We're also warned about that. 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13 says this, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the temptation, but with the temptation, who will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Matthew Henry has pointed out that Christ knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. Had Peter known himself better, he wouldn't have put so much confidence in himself. True? Matthew Henry wrote this, Christ, who knew him better than he knew himself, had expressly told him, Whether I go, whether, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. 
and had told him again and again that he would deny him. And he had lately had experience of his own weakness in forsaking him. Note, we must take heed of tempting God by running upon difficulties beyond our strength and venturing too far in a way of suffering. If our call be clear to expose ourselves, we may hope that God will enable us to honor him. But if it be not, we may fear that God will leave us to shame ourselves. But it's old English to say this, look, be cautious that you don't have an overconfidence in yourself and think, I can just go wherever the temptation is, it's fine, I'll just, I'm tough, I've got it. Be careful, right? Be careful where you're journeying. Be careful where you're going. It's right that we have contact with people who don't know Jesus and, and meet them in some of their places, but make sure that you don't go to places where the temptation will be beyond your ability to endure, right? I have enunciation problems. I find that when I'm trying to learn foreign languages. I sometimes put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. That, it's not a good thing in a lot of languages, right? I suggest to you that many Christians do that in their understanding of biblical truth. They take a verse like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and they put the emphasis on I can do. I can do, I can do. I can do, and not through Christ who strengthens me. They rip the verse out of its context and use it to pump up their confidence, but their confidence isn't in Christ, it's in themselves. We should have a confidence that comes from God's promises. We've studied God's word. We know what he's promised us. Amen? I think a lot of the people on television, or at least a good number, wouldn't be on television if people would read their Bibles and know what the Bible actually promised. The Bible didn't promise that you'd always be rich or that you'd always be healthy. It did promise that Christ will always be with his people, that if he asks you to be your Lord and Savior, he won't leave you or forsake you. The Bible did promise that God won't waste your pain, right? That's my words for it, but it says all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? The Bible does promise that there is coming a day when there will be an end of evil and trouble and hardship. We need to know God's promises. We also need to build confidence by being around God's people. We need to build confidence by Practicing godly practices. We need to experience God's power by believing in God's power. You see, we get the wrong confidence. And second, we get the wrong comfort. We comfort ourselves with the wrong things. Let's look at the Gospel of Matthew, the 26th chapter, the 36th through the 45th verse. We've now been up where, where Peter is denying Jesus in time. Now we're going to go take a trip back to what happened before the not denial. See, we're going to the road that led to it. Verse 36, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, 
And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. I'm going to stop here and make a comment. Jesus, fully God and fully man, in his moment of trial, he's in prayer, and he's asking other people to pray for him. Right? One of the things I would so like to see happen is this church become more and more a church of prayer. We're trying to do connect groups, and we're going to do them again. People meeting together, praying. But pray for one another. Don't just pray for a change in circumstances. So many people, their spiritual experience makes no difference in their life. They're coming into worship services. They're singing songs. They're lifting their hands. They're going to prayer meetings and talking about God changing this circumstance and that circumstance. But they're not dealing with their own temptations. They're not dealing with their own weaknesses. And they're walking out of those meetings and they're returning to the pornography and the drug addiction and the drinking and the sexual sin. And it's making no difference in their life at all. And they seek their comfort in things that they should not seek their comfort in. And every day, we're tempted to join them. The demons are calling us into that. Our fleshly desires would call us to that. Play games. Keep a form of godliness, maybe, but deny its power. Watch with me, he said. Verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them. What's the word? He found them what? Have you been sleeping? Spiritually speaking? So many are turning away from God. So much trouble. Are you sleeping? He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? When was the last time you spent an hour in prayer? An hour in the Bible? So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Notice what he's asking him to pray for. Oh, I want us praying for one another. Help me. Pray for me. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping. 
for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. While they slept, he prepared himself to die for their sins. That's the love our Savior has for us. If you've been spiritually sleeping, maybe you don't even know Jesus. He offers you salvation. Give your life to Him. Make Him the Lord and Savior of your life. Ask Him to forgive your sins. Ask Him to send His Spirit to fill you. And then tell us about that. We would love to pray for you. But if, if you're here and you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but the truth is you don't live like that. You live like a practical atheist. There's, there's no difference in how you live than anybody else. Where you get your confidence from is the same place your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus gets their confidence from. The place that you get your comfort from is the same place they get their comfort from. Where you get your joy from, that's where they get their joy from. It's not how it should be, should it? As I was preparing this message, I said, make sure it's not, not too negative, Kev, because you know what? Our God's for us, right? The idea is to stay off the road of denial. But you know, sometimes a strong warning is a loving thing, right? Let's look at John 18, 15 through 18. It says, so Peter followed Jesus and so did Another disciple, since the disciples were known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. And yes, I know I'm reading this again, but we need to hear it again, don't we? So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming them himself. So what was Peter doing? When Jesus is being arrested on trial, Peter's just sitting by the fire. He stood, and then we'll find out from the other gospel that he actually ends up having a seat among them. Wrong confidence, wrong confidence, wrong comfort. Next, wrong crowd. Luke 2, 54 through 62. Then they seized him and led him away, bring him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and sat down together. Peter sat down among them. Did you catch that? Peter did what? He sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, and looking close at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I didn't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted. How long? An hour. He just hung out. 
insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Folks, Scripture tells us that he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So many people think, I'm confident, I can handle this, and they start hanging out with the wrong crowd. I spent a lot of my life working with people with addiction issues. And it starts with, I can hang out with my old friends. It's a well, tell me a little bit about it. Well, I want to hang out with my old friends and share Jesus with them. Well, that's great. Who are you going to bring with you? How are you going to protect yourself from falling back into some of the old patterns of sin? Oh, it won't be a problem, Pastor. Don't worry about it. Then what happens? Well, they come back to me. <clears throat> they come back to me and they tell me, I went out last night with those guys. I didn't have a problem. Not the first time, not the second time, not the third time, but about the tenth or twelfth time, they got cocky and they fell right back into their old pattern. Right? So we need to surround ourselves with positive peer pressure. Amen? You weren't meant to go it alone. Matthew Henry said it was his great folly to thrust himself into the temptation by continuing in the company of those that were unsuitable for him and that he had nothing to do with. He stayed to warm himself, but those that warm themselves with evildoers grow cold towards good people and good things. And those that are fond of the devil's fireside are in danger of the devil's fire. Matthew Henry went on to say, as we choose our people, we choose our praise and govern ourselves accordingly. We are therefore concerned to make the first choice well and not to mingle and not to mingle with those whom we cannot please without, I'm sorry, mingle with those whom we cannot please without displeasing God. Those we cannot please without displeasing God. Isn't that what happens here? He's, he's afraid of them. He, he wants them to be happy with him, so he denies Jesus. Why are we spending so much time hanging out with people that to hang out with, we have to dishonor the Lord? I, I want us to, to be in contact with people who, who really need Jesus. I get that. But we've got to be careful who our crowd is that we hang around with all the time. Right? There's a big lie out there that it doesn't really matter who I, who I hang out with, it won't have an impact on me. That's not true. There's an idea of cultural relativism that says each culture gets to define its own right and wrong. That's not true. The road to denial starts with confidence in the wrong thing, which leads to prayerlessness and not doing the things God calls us to do. It leads to starting to get our comfort in the wrong things hanging around the wrong crowd. As Spurgeon writes, Peter was on dangerous ground. 
When his master was being buffeted, he was trying to make himself comfortable. We read of the high priest's servants that they warned themselves, and Peter stood with them and warned himself. He stood with them, and they were rough servants, rough servants of ill masters. He was in bad company, and he was a man who could not afford to be in bad company, for he was so impulsive and so easily provoked to rash actions. Do we fear our own impulsivity? Do we show it by the choices we make? Right? For ourselves and for our children, let's think about the level of temptation we put ourselves in and ask ourselves, are we putting ourselves in a place of temptation because God has called us to be there to reach people for Jesus? Are we just there because we take our comfort in the wrong things? Are we just there because we think too highly of ourselves? Pride is so, so dangerous. Why is it so many Christians are so cocky about their faith and they spend so little time doing the thing God tells us to do and praying for the things that God tells us to pray for and spending time in His Word? And spending time with his people. You see, wrong confidence, wrong comfort, wrong crowd led Peter to the wrong conclusion. The conclusion he came to was to be safe, I have to dishonor God. To be safe, I have to dishonor God. The same lie that Satan's using all the time. To feed my family, I've got to be dishonest. If I want to have any friends in high school, I've got to do some stuff that dishonors God. Doesn't even start it. High, high school starts way before that, right? Just one more time. I'm going to read Peter's denial of Jesus. This time I'm going to read it from Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystander came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So what do we do with this sermon? What do we do with the things we're talking about? First, make sure you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You've asked him to be the forgiver of your sins, the boss and treasure of your life. Second, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, maybe it's time to rededicate your life to him. 
You know there's some stuff you've been doing you shouldn't be doing and some stuff you should be doing you're not. Maybe the next step is, hey, I need to get involved in a church. We're not the only local church. There's other great local churches, but if you'd like to be involved in here, we're going to be doing an explorer's class. We'd love to, to have you come through that class. We're going to be soon starting some more prayer groups. Get, get together with people and pray for one another. Amen? We need each other because God has created us to be in a family with other believers. Church family. I've been thinking a lot about how sad it is that there are people like Zach who don't realize what they're throwing away when they go after nothing. Who are around Christianity but never experience the joy of knowing Christ in a powerful way. But here's some good news for you. We're going to see in the upcoming weeks that Peter is reinstated and used by God and we're going to see him in Scripture and Acts preaching with boldness and filled with the Holy Spirit. So I pray for the Zacks of the world that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. The walking away isn't the final chapter. Amen? Oh, the joy that we rob ourselves of when we settle for lukewarm, mediocre Christianity. Let's give ourselves fully to Christ. Let's stay off the road to denial. Let's find our comfort in Him.